Mark Lorenz. Mark Lorenz, great. And of course, your mom was Marita Lorenz. Your mother was a beautiful, beautiful woman. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, I like when people tell me I look like my mom. And yeah, she was a lovely, lovely woman. And I love her in that beret with the red star on the top. <laughs> she, was, she was like a natural-born revolutionary femme fatale. And uh, what an interesting person. Yeah. Born, I, I'm going to let you tell the story, but I'm just going it's just to give people an introduction. Born August 18th, 1939. She passed away, unfortunately, August 31st, 2019. I'm so sorry, age 80. And thank you. And uh, and I I know you loved her dearly. We were speaking earlier tonight about that. And uh, she was born in Bremen, Bremen, Nazi Germany. And her mother, your grandmother, was accused of helping forced laborers in Bremen escape the Nazis. And Lorenz and her mother were incarcerated in the Bergen-Belsen concentration camp. Not together at separate uh, at separate locations, but within the same camp. Yes, I see. And. Uh, uh, and she was just a child. I mean, she was just born in 1939, so she was what, two years old mm-hmm. or something. And, um, uh, and like five, six, five, six. Five. And uh, so, and then of course, uh, your mom was. Uh, we have. I'm just going over the headlines here. Uh, mm-hmm. We just discussed her early life, and then Castro and Perez Jimenez. Uh, she was close to Fidel Castro, and as you said, loved the man. I'm going to jump into that in a second. And then was mm-hmm. uh, uh, she met? She claimed she met Lee Harvey Oswald. She was interviewed by the House Select Committee looking into the uh, uh, into the Kennedy assassination. They uh, seemed. I'll let you talk about discredited her story, but at the same time, Mark Lane and others have embraced her, and of course. Uh, uh, A.J. Weberman, who we just talked to, wrote extensively about uh, people like Frank Sturgis, who your mom seems to have known, who was uh, implicated. It was one of the Watergate burglars and had been implicated in uh, in the attempt to assassinate Fidel Castro. How did your tell me about your mom now, uh, how you remember her and what type of person she was to you? Uh, I adored my mom. My mom was my best friend. You know, um, she was very loving and giving. I mean, I know people say that about my mom, but, like, she, she cared about people. She helped a lot of people. She rescued animals. She rescued people. You know, she, uh, God, she was a, she was a federal marshal in, uh, in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, when the Cuban refugees came over, and uh, she helped a, a number of women give birth. There's, I hear there's a few people out there named after my mother, um, she worked with children, with specifically girls and teenagers, as much as she could. When I was a kid, uh, as a cop in the city, she worked with kids later on, uh, again in the late 80s, I think, in the early 90s. Again, she worked with girls. Uh, but, yeah, very loving, very giving mom. She lived here in New York, New York City. Yeah, most of her life, yes. She adored New York City. Yes. Let's, how did she, let's go back, let's go get in the Wayback Machine and uh, spin the dials and walk out in in the late 1950s, early 1960s. How did your mom meet Fidel Castro? My grandfather, her father was a ship's captain uh, for the North German Lloyd Lines. And uh, February 28th, 1959, I believe, uh, their ship, the Berlin, sailed into Havana Harbor, and this was uh, part of the normal, I think, Southwest Indies cruise. 
and uh, the ship was in the harbor as it had been normally many times before. But at this time, Fidel was in the Havana Hilton overlooking the harbor. He and his men saw the ship in the harbor, and he decided he wanted to check it out. They took a launch out to the boat, and uh, that's where he met my mother. <laughs> um, and your mom was uh, was a young and beautiful woman. Yes, she was 19. My grandfather was asleep at the time. The ship's captain has to be asleep at specific times because he has to be awake at other times. And uh, she greeted Fidel and his men at the top of uh, it's the, the steps along the side of the ship. In German, it's called Falkreppe, I think. And uh, uh, when he got to the top, Mom stopped him because he, him and his party were armed, and she had insisted that they disarm. And in the end, that's what happened, and she took him on a tour of the ship. <laughs> and Fidel Castro immediately took an interest in your mother. Yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And your mom and took it. Was, it was mutual. It was mutual. Yeah. It was definitely mutual, 100%. And how did, the, how did the relationship blossom from then? She left after a short while, I think a day or so, went back to New York. And as soon as she arrived in New York City, Fidel called her. They exchanged phone numbers. Fidel called her, invited her to come right back. And uh, he sent a plane for her at that time. It was called Idlewild, not Kennedy Airport. Uh, I think a, a Cubana Airliners, Cubana Airways airliner. And she said in one of her interviews that uh, the plane was essentially empty for her, and it flew her back there. And then she stayed with him for the next, I believe, eight, nine months. Tell me more about their relationship. It's controversial, and I'm, I'm, to me, I when I read it, it seems confusing and controversial, and con I mean contradictory. Uh, right. What, 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 what was the nature of their relationship, and was your? Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to imply anything, so I'm going to let you tell me the no. story. What, what, what happened? Well, it just so happens that my mom had a relationship, her first real, genuine, everything relationship with the. Uh, the person who was, happened to be ruling Cuba it just so happened, but it was my mother's first relationship, and it's uh, um, non-political. You can't think about politics or anything like that. Uh, she never cared about that. Uh, she only cared about her first love, Fidel, and of course it got complicated because as time went by, she was approached by elements of the CIA and uh, they attempted to recruit her for other things because she had access. But it started out as just a relationship with her and Fidel. And, you know, he would teach her things. He would take her and show her about uh, the biology of Cuba. He would show her about, you know, fish and talk about the oceans and the, the land. And, you know, he helped her learn Spanish. She translated a book for him, his, I think... History will absolve me. I can't remember. I don't know if that's it or not. But uh, you know, she she adored him, and uh, for the time that they had together, it seemed that they had a wonderful relationship. He was fixing Cuba. He seemed to listen to her in a couple of major instances, and um, yeah. But then things changed. It was changed by outside forces. Uh huh. Can you, can we talk about that? What do we know about that? What do you know about that? How those forces change things? Well. My mom was 
contacted by a gentleman named Frank Sturgis. Yeah, that's what Frank Fiorino, Frank Sturgis. Let's stop there Frank for one Fiorini, second. Frank Sturgis. He was huh? one of the Watergate burglars, and he was also a uh, a member of the CIA who was active in uh, in uh, Cuban trying to basically kill uh, Fidel Castro. Yeah, interestingly, at first he was uh, admitted or. Uh, he was put as head of the Cuban Air Force, I think, or Cuban Air Force Security, one or the other, uh, by Fidel. He was with Fidel and the Sierra Maestras during the, uh, you know, the, during the time they were fighting the Batista forces. And um, but Sturgis ended up switching sides. I think Castro really was impressed by Sturgis because of his flying skills. He could land a, a plane in a short strip in the mountains and. Uh, uh, he he earned his way into Castro's uh, heart and respect in a lot of ways, but then at some point he switched sides and he contacted my mother a few times and um, uh, let's just say she wasn't interested. And uh, but then things change after she was uh, she drank a milkshake that was poisoned and she lost a baby or not. That's another question I have yet to figure out and whether or not the child lived. But she was pregnant with Fidel's child, and, uh, and she ended up losing it and then ending up in New York. And, uh, yeah, things changed from there. Mm-hmm. And is this, a, is, uh-huh. is this a real story? I mean, I, someone told me this story about uh, Fidel Castro walking into a room and saying to your mom, I know about the plot. Is that a true story or made up? No, no, it is. When I recount my mom's stories, most of my mom's interviews, I was kind of right off screen for like maybe 90-some percentage of the interviews. So I'm just recounting what I've heard her say on public records. So there's a lot of interviews in English and Spanish and German and I'm sure other languages. Google Alerts just gave me one today from Africa talking about Fidel where they mentioned my mom prominently in it. But um, <clears throat> she was given a pair of poison pills and uh, to to slip into his milkshake uh, when because she had access to it. Uh, but she she only agreed to do it in in a way to protect him from somebody else uh, doing it, you know, trying to kill him. But uh, when she got to the Havana Hilton, she tried to she she had smuggled the pills in in a jar of cold cream, and by the time she got to the Havana Hilton, they melted. She was trying to flush them down the bidet, and she was all freaked out and upset about that. And something, sometime right around that time, Fidel walked into the room. And uh, now I'm summarizing. She's, she's, given, she's re- recounted this a few times, but he essentially at some point asked her, you know, I know you're hanging around with bad people. Did you come here to kill me? You know, and she said yes. And at some point he turned around. At some point he's looking somewhere, and he's maybe it's looking in a mirror, and he says, you know, you can't kill me. Nobody can kill me. I'm Cuba. Um, at some point they were laying down on the bed together, and he did indeed hand her his gun. Uh, and he said, you know, go ahead. You know, maybe that's when he said the line, I'm not sure you, can kill, you can't kill me, nobody can kill me. But um, I think she said in one of her interviews, she said the gun was rusty and handed it back to him. Just you know, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? She wasn't she political. She didn't really. She wasn't no. like a Cuba Libre. She wasn't a communist. She wasn't a no. nationalist. Any of that kind of thing. No, 
No, no. She cared about Cuba. She liked Cuban babies and children. She liked people, mothers. You know, she was a, hu- a humanitarian. She, you know, the politics. I think, I think the whole uh, Bergen Belson experience removed all interest in politics from her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she had no interest in politics ever to the day she died. Zero. <clears throat> it was only about you know Cuba and the people. Fidel was going to fix Cuba. She loved him for that reason. That's it. You know, he always told her she wanted her to be part of the revolution to help, right. help fix Cuba. How did your mom meet John F. Kennedy? She never met him. No, uh-huh. no, she never oh, that's met a, him. Okay, no, no, I, no, 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 no. Well, set no, it no, straight. No. Set it straight. So, all right. This is, again, recounting what mom has said many times over, is that it was one day out of her life. She'd been, you know, caught up with this group of people that had been very anti-Kennedy, the, the Bay of Pigs, Operation 40 people, you know, the... Uh, anti-Castro Cubans training in the Florida Everglades and, you know, around the people that, you know, they landed on the beaches and, you know, they were betrayed by Kennedy, all that mess, all these people. And uh, she had been uh, doing a lot of uh, transporting of guns and ammunition for years uh, with them. So a gun run was a normal thing that they had done. And uh, one night they were doing a gun run to Dallas and she tagged along with them. I believe it was two cars. And uh, she many times over listed a number of people that were in the cars with her in the, the caravan, she called it. But she said it was a little unusual because they were high-powered weapons, etc. Not the normal gun run, uh, in her opinion, in her, her comments. Um, and uh, <coughs> forgive me, they uh, ended up in a motel outside of Dallas. A day or two before the shooting, and uh, Mom had an argument with uh, uh, Jack Ruby. Came to the door. Sturgis opened the door. Uh, Jack Ruby got up, got upset because there was a woman in the room. I'm not going to say what he said, but he said something that offended my mom greatly. And uh, my mom said, "All right, that's the last straw. I'm out of here." And her and somebody else left. And, uh, when uh, she returned to Miami to pick up my sister, my baby sister at the time, who was at a babysitter, and then from Miami, she was on the plane going back to Fort Lee, New Jersey, when the airplane <clears throat> got diverted and the pilot announced that Kennedy had been shot in Dallas. And that's basically when she said to herself, oh, my God, they were serious. Oh, my God, they did it. Mm-hmm. And so she they, actually they did the the the, uh, the the Warren Commission ever speak to your mom about it? I went with my mother, and I believe it was seventy eight to the actual Capitol building uh, to the House Assassinations Committee. I sat there in the room on the green leather chairs with my dog. And uh, listen to my mom recount testimony, which I don't remember. I was a kid. Right, right. No, that's but, fine. Um, yeah, that's she, on record. Uh, she had given a book, which she called the Green Book. My mom was famous and still is famous for her archiving of clippings and articles and photos and documents and etc. <clears throat> she had collected and amassed all these things into a book, which she had called the Green Book. She submitted this to the committee. Uh, the next time she saw it, it had been heavily altered and changed and redacted. And, you know, she, that, that upset her greatly, uh, that it had been altered and changed from what she had originally given them. 
and then it was conveniently uh, lost. It disappeared. So some great archivist in the future is going to find Mom's Green Book one day somewhere. Mm-hmm. Somewhere. We hope. We hope. I, and oh, also the I library, hope, uh, oh, Mary Pinchot Myers. Or whatever. Right. Well, we got uh, some calls coming in. Want to take a call or two? I'm sure our listeners probably know more about this than I do. And would be oh, interested. Well, in a lot of people know more than I do as well. <laughs> right, I know it's out there, but but we're interested. You're interested. You're especially interested to have a connection. Very yeah, very interested. You have a connection. Uh, our number is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. We're speaking with Mark Lorenz, whose mom, uh, Marita Lorenz, um, as you've been hearing, was a central character in that period of time, the late fifties and early sixties, when our modern world was coming into being. And you are on the radio. Question or comment for Mark? Oh, no. Okay, so, well, call back again. I, we probably lost the person. Hello? They didn't stay on. Uh, our number is 917, uh, pardon me, 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Our guest, Mark Lorenz, and we're talking about his mom, as I was saying, uh, Marita Lorenz, who uh, had an intimate relationship with uh, Fidel Castro and uh, knew some of the people who might have been involved, uh, have been claimed by... A.J. Weberman and, and others, Mark Lane, as uh, possibly being involved in the Kennedy assassination. And you're on the radio. Welcome to WBAI. Hi, Paul. This is Felice Rosser. Oh, hi, Felice. Hang on there, Felice. We're going to finish this up, and then we'll go to you, all right? You want to stay on or call back? It's up to you. I'll stay on. All right, great. I'm going to put it's Just hang on there. Great. Thank you, Felice, for joining us. Thank uh, you. Next show, it's coming up. We'll our next guest later on. Um so again, our number is two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven, and our guest is uh, Mark Lorenz, and we're talking about his his mom's very interesting life. Um, has, did your mom ever? Is there a book? That, are any good books that we can find about your mom's life and her relationship to Castro and yeah. all these other things? So my mom wrote finally her own book uh, in 2014, 2015 called, uh, I believe, the spy, the, the spy Who Loved Castro. There's only one book with a title like that. <laughs> um, it's in English and Spanish and Portuguese, and I think Russian. I think this is Russian. Right. Uh, but yes, this is, there, there, were, there were two other books written about my mother. <laughs> one is a purple book from many years ago, but that was, uh, my mom was kind of forced into working with a co-author that uh, she didn't even meet in person but once, and it was all over the phone, and he kind of made up some stuff that upset her. So that's the old purple book. But her book is The Spy That Loved Castro, mm-hmm. and uh, that was published in 2015, I believe. Oh, um, great. I, I should be out there on Amazon. Yeah, that's that's her. That that's her talking. It's not somebody writing about her, which is you know I, I appreciate that that that's you mm-hmm. know her, not somebody writing about her. Uh, that's a book that I um, one thing I know it needs an index, and that's one one of my life goals is going to be to add an index to my mom's book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh huh. All right, that would be great. Indexes are really important. I really I've, I've heard fa- it. Fa- it, well, it was written quickly for a few reasons. Right. Obviously, uh, you know she's she's no longer here with us, but thank God she was able to finish it. Yes. Um, but yeah, the index. That's I'm, I'm going to do my best to work on that, and as well as I'm going to try and save and digitize all of her documents, which is a massive, massive undertaking, and I got to I'm going to reach out for help with that. But anyway. <laughs> all right, great, and uh, you know. It, 
where were you where were you in 19 were you born in 1963 69 you were born in 69, 69. so you were born like after i see i'm old enough i'm a bit right. older i remember uh-huh. where i was when kennedy was assassinated i was in second grade and i um i never forget and i went to catholic school so they made us all get up and go into the church and kneel and pray oh. and i wasn't exactly sure what we were praying about it was like I had no idea, right? Two, you know, seven years old, six years old. You're vaguely in touch. I was vaguely in touch with the world, uh, as far, outside of home and school and second grade classroom. But boy, people were crying. He he was a beloved man in a way. He was really a beloved man, and I'm fascinated. We were doing something. You know, it's been the the anniversary came in October of the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? And when the world really came as close as it's ever been. To nuclear war mm-hmm. so and and the word about kennedy was that he was the one person in his in the government who was really arguing for a peaceful solution that the generals even his own brother were becoming very bellicose about you know going after the russians if they brought these missiles to cuba but part of it was that castro felt that because people were trying to kill him he wanted to have that ultimate protection and do you think that maybe all these attempts to kill Castro backfired in that they just made him more, <laughs> even stronger in his beliefs, not less? I, I he, he ended up being just a medieval king on a hill. I mean, everything just backed him into a corner. Uh-huh. Um, there was a... British film called 638 Ways to Kill Fidel, and my mom was, I think, number one or two, depending on how you look at it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, I think he's a great example of that which not, that which doesn't kill us makes us strong, because he just, right. you know, he he he, he died um, the way he chose, yep. you know, speaking long speeches to the end, and the whole deal. Uh, he never gave up. And uh, so no, in, no. in that way, the the, the, the foreign policy failed. Wasn't there a lot of anger? I mean, because I've talked to a lot of people from that era, you know, over the years. And I wondered if there was a lot of it was just there was a lot of bile. People were just peed all PO'd that uh, that uh, they had lost, you know, their investments in this country. And there used to be such oh, a yeah. such a play. You know, the mafia was really, really, really. Um, had you know made so much money you know from the their investments in Cuba the casinos and the bars and the clubs and the nightclubs and everything and to lose that was uh, was it wasn't just the money it was an embarrassment it was a, oh, a shaming of them there was a gentleman by the name of uh, Frank Nelson who Frank Sturgis was a good friend of and uh, as he got older Frank Nelson I mean I was a little kid all I knew is this was my mom's friend Frank Nelson uh, my mom took care of him because he had no friends or family to care for him, and he had horrible nurses that were stealing from him. So for a couple of weeks, my mom, st- my mom and I stayed with him in his apartment in Manhattan, and it was kind of funny because, you know, it would be quiet, and then Frank would start saying, do you know how much money I lost? And my mom would say, shut up, Frank. <laughs> He'd say, well, do you know how much money I lost with, with United Fruit? And she'll say, shut up, Frank. You know, it was just an easy job. You know, Frank, I don't want to hear it. It was a simple job. All you had to do, Marita. Frank, I don't want to hear it. It turns out later that he was arguing. He's still mad at mom because she didn't kill Fidel. 
<laughs> oh my God. Your mom was an important, a pivotal I didn't person in history. This as a kid. It yeah. took me a while to understand why. She, what do you mean, shut up, Frank? Why are you? Why are you yelling at a Frank? You know, this is this nice old man who likes cats. We're taking care of him. Why are you mad at my mother? Well, what's United Fruit? You know. <laughs> so yeah. sure, there was plenty of that, but uh, oh, you know, there was there was so much going on on the other side. Mom, my mom would say that when you know when she was living with with Fidel in the hotel room, when he wasn't there, she would hear people people getting shot. You know, she would hear shooting in the background, and then whenever he would show up, she would, you know, she would complain to him, and, you know, what are you doing? Why are you shooting people? This, you know, don't tell me you're not shooting people. You're shooting people. You know, what the hell are you doing? And uh, he would say, oh, you know, sometimes, you know, one bad apple. She's like, yeah, but, you know, you got to stop killing people. What are you doing? Right. So It's a you know, negative. One thing. Yeah. He, was, he was never, ever happy about that. She used to, she used to grab uh, pardons out of his out of his desk when people would call up to, you know, help my uncle is in is in, in jail. Can you please get his name out? And she said, oh, she'd write a name down. And years later, she found out that she released a whole bunch of the mobsters. And uh... <laughs> so these are the mobsters involved with the with the casinos and everything who were being yeah. uh, dispatched rather quickly. That were, that were being arrested and locked up, and you know. And then I, mean, I remember yeah. mom giving interviews where. She would say, here, Fidel, sign this. And he'd say, oh, that's a bad man. I don't want to let him go. She said, just sign it. They keep calling. They keep calling and bothering me. The Russian style, we have to get away from this. Uh, you know, I, let's not, the revolution, and I, I'm in favor of revolutions, but we shouldn't lower uh -huh. ourselves to the same level as our enemies. That's always no. been my feeling. And I think that's a mistake that past revolutionaries have made. Uh, well, we have somebody on the radio. You're on the you're on WBAI. Welcome to uh, our our little cabal here. <laughs> you're on the radio. Yeah, is that me? Yes, question or comment. Good morning. Um and, and please let let me give me 30 seconds or 45 seconds to finish my thoughts. But I um heard about a party where Lyndon Bain Johnson and others were there and there was some planning or talk of the coming assassination. When you mentioned the hotel and an incident with Jack Ruby, I'm not clear about where she was, who was there. I'd like you to, your guests to um, flesh out the idea that she had some exposure at, at, here in the comment that she said, oh, those guys are really serious or whoever. So that's my question. Flesh out what that threat is in terms of her being exposed to the, to the coming assassination. And I'll listen over the air. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know if we can solve the assassination of John F. Kennedy tonight. We're, we'll give it a shot, okay? But I, I'm, I'm not sure if we can we can solve it. Uh, See, so puts you. Do you get put on the spot a lot, Mark? Like, uh, like who killed Kennedy? What do you know? Like, tell us. <laughs> oh, wow. listen. I I have no clue who killed Kennedy. I mean, I have a few guesses. I've heard some great theories. Um, you know, people in grassy knolls or shooters in sewers. I've heard all sorts of interesting things, but, I mean, I don't know. Um, it, it, we, our, our mutual friend, A.J. Weberman, uh, mm -hmm. he wrote a book where he says basically Frank Sturgis and E. Howard Hunt, the CIA, were responsible. 
Well, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Sturgis later, I know one thing that Sturgis said to my mother years later was uh, just essentially, you know, you missed it. You blew it. You blew it. You know, and she said, oh, God, Frank, did you actually do that? And she says, you know, nobody can prove anything. You know, he didn't he didn't confirm or deny that I know of. But he basically said to her, ah, you missed it. Why would they be so mad? Why would they be so? I mean, the JFK wasn't militant enough. He didn't because he didn't support the Bay of Pigs guys and they all died on the beach. And yeah, yeah, the the. Kennedy refused to provide air cover when they were landing in the beaches. And, I mean, the CIA was in the middle of their most, one of their most screwed up misadventures anyway. But they like to pin the blame on Kennedy not providing the air cover, which, of course, was a significant factor in their defeat. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there were many other factors that led up to it. But still... There was just Fidel knew the phone history. number of the fishing shack that was right there at the Bay of Pigs by chance because he had gone there on a number of occasions to stay. So he actually could get a call, ring him up, and get like a direct intelligence from what was going on on the phone. It was, it was just such a yeah. I mean, Fidel had had the situation under control, and it was they should. My personal opinion, they shouldn't have done it. But anyway, yeah. who am I? Right. Well, the, I'm a history student from Queens College. Right, and, and you know when people call and they say that you know I've had plenty of friends who are so angry. You know, Castro was a killer. Uh, uh, Che Guevara was a killer, and I always say, well, who are they replacing? They were replacing this horrible fascist guy, uh, Batista. Even well, Batista was terrible to his people. Yeah, his even Sturgis was, was against Batista. Now, to, but, but to, this is why my mom had visited Cuba before she met Fidel. She kind of, for a few years, lived on board my grandfather's luxury liner, and she'd seen Cuba under Batista. And she she told me personally of seeing, uh, you know, little boys, little kids with big swollen bellies, and you know, nobody had shoes and. Uh, you know, she when, when when she would ever visit Cuba, she would have to go with some of the officers of the ship. She was never allowed to go alone. She always had to be with somebody from the ship in uniform, um, you know, to go to the tourist markets or whatever before Fidel. Right. It was so, so it was so crazy under Batista. We have another caller. It was there. You're on the radio. You're on the radio. You got to turn down your radio. Hey, Paul. Hey. Oh, hey, it's Chris Flash from the Shadow. How you doing? Oh, man? Chris, Chris, editor Chris Flash from the Shadow. Actually, an expert on the Kennedy assassination. Who Not actually an expert, but I have been maybe uh, uh, unhealthily obsessed with the story since I was 13 years old, and uh, I'm, I'm really happy to hear Marita's son very articulately like uh, explain like like his experience and relay well, everything. You're really well spoken. Um, I just had this. Uh, I'm going to communicate with you another way through friends because uh, you know I want to talk to you more in depth. But um, just real quick, I remember sometime in the 1970s, the Daily News, this really sleazy, did a really sleazy thing. They put a photograph of your oh. sister on the front page in her graduation, her grad, high school graduation <laughs> photo. They said that she had attacked somebody who was trying to hurt your mother, 
And I mm. can't remember if it was Frank Sturgis or somebody else. Do you know anything about that? It was okay. like a really... Okay. Um, yes, they got the high school picture of my sister, I believe from St. Joseph's School, which was adorable. Uh, what happened was it, this was around the lead-up to the House Assassination Committee. My mom was subpoenaed to appear, and uh, Frank had called her, and I, I cannot recount the conversation. Um, I was too young. I wasn't... You've been about five years old or so. Yeah. God, seven, maybe seven, right? Seven, I'm still a kid. Um, <laughs> but Sturgis, my mom was on the phone with Sturgis, and he threatened mom, don't talk to them. And my mom said something like, you know, Frank, what are you kidding me? I, they, I, it's Congress. I, I, have, to, I, have, to, I, I have to talk to them. I have to tell them, whatever. And uh, this conversation terrified my sister. Uh, my sister obtained a gun from some friends in Brooklyn, and she waited behind a car. To uh, She was protecting her mother. Sturgis said the, the phone conversation ended with, you know, Sturgis saying, well, I'm going to come there and talk to you in person. Wow. And my, my sister took that as a threat, and she went to go. And uh, she bought a gun. I don't know if it was fired or not. What I know is that she, a uh, New York City police officer, talked her down. And um, Sturgis was arrested. And, uh, yeah, the cover of the Daily News, there's there's a, a picture that, that just makes me laugh to this day of a great reporter took a picture of Sturgis, you know. Hey, Frank, and he looks over, he took great picture of Sturgis. Ah, they, had it right, they had it right next to my sister's graduation picture from St. Joey's School on 87th Street. Yeah, I just thought it was sleazy to put her photograph on there to violate her privacy, but now that you're explaining the story more fully, I love her. I just That's that's what you do to protect your mom, and that's like a wonderful thing. Wow. Well, that, that's, why, that's why somebody gave her a gun. Like, yeah, go protect your mom. Well, you know, Mark, seriously, a lot of people, every time there was a, 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 a quote, assassination committee formed by Congress, uh, witnesses started dropping dead in the 70s and then again in the 90s when they, when they did a new uh, assassination committee. It seemed like it, it was, the committees were designed to cleanse the remaining living witnesses who may be willing to talk. And so each time they had a committee convening, conveniently a lot of witnesses started getting knocked off. Mm -hmm. So your sister was doing the right thing because, you know, they were afraid, I think, of your mom. Oh, Possibly. My, mo my mother was terrified her whole life. They did a oh. wonderful job of absolutely terrifying my mother through and through. Absolutely oh. terrified her to the core. What kind of tactics did they use to scared. terrify her? What, kind of, what were their tactics to try oh, to undermine dude. her? Self-confidence. We used to live at 512 East 88th Street. They firebombed 510 East 88th Street. They missed. Wow. They got the wrong apartment. Wow. Um, we had a house in Connecticut, and uh, one day somebody shot through the back window, grazed my sister's arm. Um, they slaughtered our animals that we had in the backyard and trashed our house. Um, oh, jeez. So, uh, who do you think did this? How about a traumatic experience for young people growing up? That's traumatic. That's like war. Oh. Having a war, your own private war. Yeah, I mean, it's just... You know, just arriving to the house that was just trashed was, I mean, there was jelly smeared on the wall in our house in Connecticut. And, you know, we just had to leave. Um, 
Yeah. That's just cowardly intimidation. Who do you think was doing this? Who's behind this, do you think? Uh, no, idea. no idea. I no idea. The police came and they just, you know, they, they were baffled. They were like, somebody shot through the window. There's a clear bullet hole. Scared the hell out of my sister. Um, yeah. Um, it's just after that, you know, we just we just abandoned the house in Connecticut because uh, we were too scared. Um and it was a good yeah, move because, yeah. like I say, they were getting rid of witnesses, and, and if they didn't want to kill your mom, they were just definitely trying to scare her into being you know, quiet or run. You know? Well, there was another time where my mom, my sister, and I were in a car driving up to Montreal. Fidel was in Montreal, and then uh, my mother was threatened by somebody. I don't know. She was terrified. We all drove up to Montreal, and on the, on the road, somebody tried to run us all off. Remember being in the car, everybody screaming. Jeez, that's uh, crazy. We ended up getting there, and uh, I don't, I don't know if she spoke with him or not. <sighs> but yeah, things happened. Um, do, you have, do you have any impression of, 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 um, let's say? I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, you didn't come to the picture until 1969, but knowing right. and learning everything you've learned since then, what's your general impression? Let's say, if uh, Castro hadn't let's say, taken power, and if Kennedy hadn't been assassinated, do you have any, any opinion or impression of how things would wow. be currently? To, you know, a whole other world, I'm sure. What do, what's your impression? Sorry, Paul, I'm doing your job I mean, here. <laughs> no, go ahead. Yeah, you guys no, know more about fine. it. Listen, I'm, it's fine. Uh, Paul well, and I work together on the shadow, by the way. So. Yeah. I'm a writer for I, his I, newspaper. I mean, Cuba would have been very different, I'm sure, the people would have guessed had more to say, more under, Pati- under Batista. Know. You think? Oh no, not under Batista. No way. I mean, I'm just saying. You know, like if, if, if Castro had lost Fidel, and Kennedy had not been assassinated, like what, what's your opinion of what that scenario would would be if, like? If if who had lost? Well, if Castro had not lost and Batista had been successful, because you know, with the CIA was funding both sides, Castro took their money and then screwed them because he yeah. knew he knew that you know who they were. And he just benefited from the money, and they were pissed about that. But let's say Castro had lost, and Kennedy had not been assassinated. Like, give any like general impression. Well, I mean, if Castro had lost, I mean, every you know, United Fruit and the gambling and everything would have just continued, and you know, it would have just. What's interesting is it's coming back. They're reopening the gambling in the casinos now, as we speak. You know, I'll tell you one thing about that when. uh, at some point, Castro and his men, my mom was there with them. They went to one of the casinos, and Castro announced that it was nationalized, argument up in the front with whoever was running the place. They get arrested, and then Castro's men started smashing the gambling equipment, and then my mom ran to Fidel and just said, tell them to stop. Do not destroy the equipment. Put it away. Put it in storage. Do not destroy the one-armed bandits and the roulette wheels. Put that away. You know, listen to her. And he put it all in storage. They made a film. Billy Hoosman made a film about my mother uh, in 1999 uh, called Dear Fidel. And he got access to the storage. And he filmed those actual roulette tables and one-armed bandits uh, that that Fidel had still in storage after all these years. The authentic, the same one. 
Uh, they're still there. I think they're still there in storage. Maybe they're dusting them off and bringing them back out. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> you're sick. <laughs> you can actually, casino. <laughs> they just have the, like, they're tourists only. I, I haven't been to Cuba, but, you know, I understand you could go. It's you could just get on a boat and just uh, go to, you know, even today, you, you know, with the U.S. problem, people will go the 90 miles all the time to, to gamble and drink and stuff and hang out, and then they come back. <laughs> Oh, hell. people go there for medical reasons. People go there for treatment. They go there for all kinds of reasons. I mean, they got a great medical food. system. They have the medical they system America wishes it had. System. Did you see the movie, the documentary by Michael Moore called Sicko? Sick, yeah, yeah. Well, they compared it to yes. They compared it to the Cuban medical system. One one scene was really touching. This this kind of like overweight woman was paying three hundred dollars in the U.S. for this little inhaler, without which she couldn't breathe, and Cuba. And a state-of-the-art pharmacy, no sawdust on the floor and chickens running around, a real state-of-the-art, really, you know, very, very clean pharmacy. The same exact brand, the same exact inhaler, the equivalent of three cents. And here she's, she's crying at the camera. She goes, I'm going broke trying to decide between food and breathing because I can't get Medicare to cover the cost of these inhalers. And here the Cubans who they say are being exploited and hurt by Castro, they're paying three cents for the same inhaler I'm paying $300 for in the U.S., it was really a telling scene. Wow. Yes. I know this is some JFK assassination related, but it's just a little side. Very story. interesting. We have another for call. For all of his yeah. faults, no one does the perfect revolution, but for all of its faults, at least the Cubans were more literate. You know, they were better educated, and the medical care, you can't compare it to the U.S. You know, I'm not a casual fan necessarily, but, you know, if you do a comparison, you know, in terms of standard of living, despite a, a huge economic embargo, um, they've done pretty good despite, right. you know, pressure from the U.S. Right. And who just joined us? Yes, it's my aunt. Uh Chris, did you ever follow up with Trying Day regarding your interest in the most dangerous book in the world? Um, please remind me again. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm the one that told you about a couple months plus ago about the most dangerous book in the world. I followed up with an email and referred you to trying to the title of the book? I think you sent me a copy of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll make sure Chris gets to look at it. I'll make sure Chris gets to look at it. Thank you. All right. But I want to stay. Speaking with Mark Lorenzo, a very important guest here. We should continue before we lose time. (laughs) Right. We're going to move back to... We're going to move back, though. We want to focus on this. We only have about 10 more minutes on this segment of the show. I just wanted, could I just share this, please? Well, we get, 30 what's seconds. Your, but what's Mark, ref- I think you would be interested because there's a lot of books that deal with the Kennedy assassination. You'd be an important presence on a Zoom conference December 8th, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And of course, oh, uh, you know, originated okay. from uh, right. Seattle. All right. Thank you very much. But we're going to move on because we want to stay focused on this issue. But thank you. Thank you. Yes. Um, and so, uh, yeah, last 10 minutes on this issue, and uh, we're going to move on to our, th- uh, hopefully we get Felice Rosser back on in a few minutes, and we'll have, we're going to talk about her band Faith and play some more music in a few minutes. Uh, Mark, Mark, Chris, quick question, Mark. Have you yes. considered yes. making your own personal documentary on your mom? I know you said someone did a film in the 90s, and she wrote her own book. Would you, is there any possible interest on your part in making a documentary based on the book that she wrote? So it's her words, her, her story, Absolutely. her side of it? I would absolutely love love to do that. There's a lot that, I mean, I would love to tell about my mother, 
what I've seen, what I've seen her witness, you know, especially uh, growing up, seeing her, seeing her struggles, trying to understand why we were doing things, why we were running from one state to another. And, you know, my mom, all the different things she's, you know, she was a federal marshal. She worked in the army. She was a cop. Wow. She was a detective, CIA, FBI. I mean, there, there were times where, where I could never tell about my mother because people would never believe me. They'd always just say, you know, come on, come on, come on, man. Do, do you feel so, like your experiences with your mom has made you a, a stronger person? Or Absolutely. Like, it, it was an honor and a privilege to be her son. I, I wish wow. he was still here. I love my mother. It's an honor and a privilege. I mean, it, absolutely. He was an incredible person. I'm so happy to have known her. It's an honor to have been her son. Wow. You know, I, I spent 22 years caring for her after she wasn't able to, to deal wow. with, with things for medical reasons. And, you know, I'd do it. I'd give I would do it for another 22. Absolutely. Wow. That's beautiful. beautiful. It's wonderful. And yeah. how uh, how should, as a public figure, how should people think of your mom, the, the, the spy who loved Castro? That's the name of her own book. Uh, you know, in, as, a, as a public figure, how should people see your mother? How was her role in this key period in American history? Huh. The New York, uh, New York Post called her the Forrest Gump of history at some point, but it's, it's no, it's, uh, just see her as, as, as a true patriot. She adored the United States. She loved the U.S. Uh, but she, as, as in her words, she said that she always wanted her life to be a lesson for people to study her life, not repeat her mistakes. Um, I would just like her to be seen as a patriot and just have it understood that she, you know, she wasn't a liar. She she only recounted what she was a witness to. She, you know, she doesn't know who killed JFK. She was a material witness to people that were involved in that. But, you know, she adored Kennedy. She had nothing against him uh, at all. Um, as far as the Lee Harvey Oswald thing is, she was in training for the Bay of Pigs uh, invasion, and she met somebody. Forgive me, I got the sniffles. She, It's not COVID. She was <laughs> not COVID related. <laughs> no, it's it's these uh, Every time people sniffle, everybody looks like their <laughs> eyes are <sort of> dark. <laughs> Where's the exit? <laughs> was in training with someone that she knew of as Ozzy. He wow. claimed to have traveled the world and was in Russia or whatnot. She doesn't know if it was the actual Lee Harvey Oswald or not. She complained to Sturgis during the training, you know, who is this guy? She didn't like him. He was annoying. Sturgis said he'll he'll serve his purpose later on. She mm -hmm. doesn't know if it was the real Ozzy or a double. I've heard that. But, you know, this is this is the closest that she came to all of these things. But, you know, if, if anything, just know her as a person that loved Fidel and loved Cuba. That's the thing that she liked about Fidel a lot is they are their share love for Cuba, the Cuban people. You know, she only wanted the best for Cuba. I like to think that my mother played some small part in the forming of the modern nation of Cuba. You know, no, she didn't kill Fidel. She couldn't do that. That was too much to ask. They tried to make my mother a kamikaze to what, make Cuba the 51st state? Shame on the U.S. for doing that. They ruined my mother's life. But just, you know, use her life as a lesson. Don't repeat her mistakes. 
Right. Well, she didn't enter this as a political person. She was a refugee no. from Nazi Germany who wound up in America at, at, and at the age of 19 through her intelligence and beauty and being an international sort of person on her dad's yacht or his dad's uh, shipping boat, yeah. uh, uh, managed to become intertwined with the top levels of world power and the events of her day. It, it must, it's a heady it's experience. An it's an, an amazing, amazing story, story and a heady from, from concentration you, the camp person? to the president of the United States to the, to the leader of the Cuban Revolution, one of the most iconic figures in the last hundred years. One of the other thing, one of the other people that she met on board my grandfather's ship was uh, Werner von Braun as he traveled to the U.S. Oh my God! <laughs> Warner von Braun, the the person who put uh, the the as yeah. the moon men on the moon. The yeah, there's so many Nazi connections to the JFK assassination. Uh, also, a, a former Nazi. This is a peripheral Nazi connection. The, I didn't want to go into the V two rocket. I could talk about this forever. I thank you so much. Thank for you so much, Mark, for staying up till two o'clock in the morning with us. This is wonderful. Oh. Mark, I'm going to be in touch with you, and thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It's right. like so enlightening and Please, amazing. To you. I'd love to hear so, from you. Thank you well, so much. Well articulating this. Thank you. You're on the radio, by, by the way. We have one more person on the air just joined us. Who's this? Yo, what's up? It's Bill. Hey, Bill. Quick, before, while Mark's leaving, do you have a question or comment yeah, for him? Listen, yeah, bro, in July, in the Cuban protest, brother, they were waving American flags screaming freedom and liberty. You saw that, right? We saw them, brother. They were risking their lives. I was so happy to see that. I mean... That blew me away because they could have been shot on the site, I would imagine, for doing that, right? I was so proud of them. They I was proud and worried for them. Yeah, because they didn't show that on Hypocrisy Now, but they and, and NBC <laughs> didn't show it. But they did show it. I did see it. But, yo, dude, these people were waving American flags screaming, liberty, liberty. I mean, you saw it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, we saw it. All right. That was I, that, that's that was wonderful. I hope that they do get everything that they deserve. The Cuban people yeah. are wonderful people. Yeah, right. but they never yeah, did I, kill Castro, right? They failed miserably at that. It never happened. Yeah, yeah. But you know, he did die uh, a multimillionaire. I mean, they Castro were just was mad a, that Castro beat them at their own game. That's what it really was. Let's boil it down to simply: <laughs> yeah. he, he was played. just better at it than they <laughs> were, and he outlasted and outlived them all. All right, guys. I'll let it, on that yeah. note, I'll let him go. I'll let everybody go. Thank, Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, man. All right. Take Thank care, guys. Go. And we're continuing on. Don't leave. We have another hour of radio unnameable.